Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of About Abroad, where it's my job to introduce you to people who have built amazing lives for themselves in various foreign corners of the globe. We're talking with expats and thought leaders about moving abroad, remote work, visas, and all the fun and practical knowledge that you need to know to follow in their footsteps. If you've ever dreamed of making a life for yourself overseas, maybe working remotely or embracing long-term travel, retiring or studying abroad, or even just taking a peek inside life beyond your borders, you've landed in the right place. My guest today is a very special one. You all may know him as Amir, the CEO and founder of Doist, the company where I work full-time as the head of remote, but I call him a friend and someone that I look up to and have learned a lot from over the years. He's one of the leading figures in the whole remote work, future of work movement, and someone who has quite an interesting personal story that ties into the whole theme of global mobility, which we're all about here on About Abroad. Amir grew up in Bosnia, had to escape the war as a refugee, ended up in Denmark, and since then has lived in a half a dozen or so other countries around the world while starting multiple tech companies and leading teams across the globe. So we're going to talk about all of that, try to pack it all into a one-hour conversation here today. And it was just such a nice treat to get some extra time, some personal time with Amir and to hear more about the pretty incredible story that he lived as a child and what it turned him into today as one of the leaders of a movement all around remote work and leading a team of 100 people distributed across 35 different countries. So fascinating discussion. I really appreciated his time. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Please help me in welcoming Amir to About Abroad. Man, it's it's so cool to have you on the podcast. I was I was thinking about this before we got started because I doubt you remember this, but when I first joined Doist, uh, I was there for a few months before I joined the company for our first like in-person retreat. It was the one in Iceland. I'm not sure if that one if that one sticks out in your mind, but for me it was like my first introduction to meeting Doisters, you included. And like we had barely had a reason to talk very much before this. And we were like at some like spa. I think it might have been at the Blue Lagoon. And it was just me and you sitting in the steam room. And I was kind of like nervous. I'm like, oh, I'm sitting here with the CEO now, uh, you know, talking. And you started telling me this, like out of nowhere, I don't remember what spawned it, but you started telling me this like amazing story about your childhood and like escaping Bosnia and like life as a refugee. And I think we only had like 10 minutes, just the two of us, but you, you ended up telling me the story. It was like this awesome connection point. And also like your story was super interesting to me as someone who's kind of into these, these kind of things about m- global mobility and things like that. That. When I started thinking about it, I was like, God, it would be so cool to share some of that story with with the About Abroad audience. And also, like, there's a bunch of gaps that I'm interested to to dive into, too. So I have no idea. Do you remember this this uh, this moment at all or not at all? Yeah, Chase, um, uh, I don't remember like that episode, but I do remember Iceland. I think like it was a fantastic retreat, probably one of the best that we had. So yeah, like I have really fond memories, but you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't recall <laughs> our sauna. Uh, so. <laughs> We've had lots of sauna moments since then. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sauna, it's like where you connect with people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've enjoyed, I'm glad that we baked that into like the, um, it's a it's like a core principle of all doist retreats like we we got to have some sauna time yeah 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 i mean it's a it's a fantastic way to 
to connect. Yeah. And, but, you know, we also very extreme at it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I do worry like if it's like scalable with like, uh, you know, getting older. Like, yeah, I'm actually sure if you get better or worse, like at like being in the sound. <laughs> We're going to find out as long as I'm in charge of, of retreats at Duis, I guess we will continue to have it baked in and we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. But yeah, let's, I mean, so let's circle back. Like, I, I think, you know, you're, you're well known in the remote work, future of work space. I mean, a lot of people, around the world follow you to to have learned from you for the last 15 years. You've been doing this way before many other people. So that aspect of your story, I feel like is well documented, well known. And I think some people know a little bit about your personal history, but the story really resonates with the with the About Abroad audience, I think, because it touches on so many different aspects of you know what it means to be sort of a global citizen, to have grown up in multiple places, to now be raising kids uh, with different backgrounds and languages and all of these things. So that's what I I really want to dive into today is some of that story that perhaps isn't as well known by the people that, that follow along and know your work. And so I thought maybe we could just start, if you're okay with it, we'll go all the way back to like childhood and, and talk about growing up in Bosnia and what you guys went through and, and how that led you on the path to, to Denmark and beyond. Yeah, Chase, I mean, that sounds uh, wonderful. And, you know, like something that I've kind of learned, like I, I have been exposed to many different like cultures, you know, and also like I, I come and even like I'm married to like a different culture. Like my, my wife is Chilean, as you know. Um, and honestly, like I think uh, something I've learned is really like, uh, like almost across the world, it's kind of the same things people care about. You know, it's like friendship family, you know, like being valuable, you know, like doing something valuable. That's all super critical for people. And like, this is exposed. I mean, I also like lived uh, a bit, I've been for a year or two in Taiwan. And honestly, it's kind of the same values. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah. So it's like, I think as a humanity, we have a lot more in common than we have like, uh, like, um, than we think. Uh, yeah. So that's something, you know, th that, uh, and, uh, yeah, like maybe, you know, there's like too much focus on like special, like specific cultures than, you know, like what we have in common. And that maybe creates like this divide that, that we are seeing. Uh, yeah. So that's at least my, my experience. And, you know, like, um, I can tell you a bit about like how, I mean, we can maybe start like where I grew up, you know, uh, or where was, uh, I was born, uh, and also like the war situation and stuff like that. And, and where I kind of ended up like growing real up, like, yeah. Um, so I was actually born in, in Bosnia in a small, town called Yaite and it's actually like a very very beautiful place there's like huge lakes mountains there's a like 30 meters like waterfall in the middle of city and the whole city is kind of like um, like it, it was there where like the kingdom of Bosnia was like many many years ago um, so like the whole city in a city is kind of has a huge wall around it um, there's also like um, uh, uh, like some monuments like inside the city center there's like a monument from the Roman Empire like a template uh, or a temple, sorry, not a temple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then at the top, uh, there is like San Lucas Church, uh, which is kind of like a ruin right now. But at some point, actually, like San Lu Lucas, like one of the, uh, you know, like a very like critical figure in like Christianity. Uh, like he was actually buried there. He's not there anymore. And also like at the top of the town, there's also like a, uh, so at some point actually the, uh, like we had our own like Christian, like my background is Muslim, but like we had our own Christian Muslim religion. And there's kind of like a uh, underground church like a Bosnian underground church, like physically underground uh, or like, like, like in yeah, theory. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it, it's, it's a uh, craved in stone. Wow. 
So like when you go there, it's like very, very special. And I don't think like in Europe, there's actually many like churches created in stone. So this is a church that was built with like Christianity and Islam baked into it, like a, like a fusion of the two? No, oh, okay. no. Uh, like uh, Islam comes uh, after, like before everything, we had our own religion. So it kind of like, you know. I'm extra unsure. Like I don't know much about it. But, uh, <laughs> like, I, I, I have been to the church. It's very beautiful. Just like a monument. So the thing is, this city has a lot of history. And also, like what a lot of people also don't really know is like that Yugoslavia was actually formed in Yaitse. Oh, really? Uh, in this town? So the, in your town? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, it's a super small town. Like it has like maybe twenty thousand people. <laughs> but actually, Tito like signed uh, like the papers for for starting like Yugoslavia in Yaitse. And, and explain real quick, just like, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to do the whole history, but for someone who's listening, pro- probably a younger person who's listening, who's like, Yugoslavia, I know that word. What does it mean? <laughs> just just help us real quick connect those dots be- between Bosnia and Yugoslavia. If you can do that yeah, quickly, I mean, it's know, a complicated question and subject. Uh, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, the thing to note is like Yugoslavia was actually like one of the more powerful countries in Europe. And it really consisted of like different countries that are independent right now. So you have like Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Slovenia, Montenegro. That kind of consisted in Yugoslavia. Uh, There was also a a great leader there. Like some would say dictator, but you know, like he was kind of dictator for life called Tito. And Tito was really like part of, you know, like fighting the Germans and winning over Germany. Like, you know, uh, the Germany never actually invaded fully like Yugoslavia. And, uh, you know, Tito was a general there. So that's also like why he had so much respect because he was like a huge part of winning the war and also something you know as well is like unlike like some other countries like Yugoslavia fought a lot in this second world war like almost a million like people died yeah that doesn't get talked about a lot I feel like that's a little bit lost in the the, the archives of history and you know another thing is kind of like we like there was also like huge uh fighting in the first world war where actually like uh, Yugoslavia was part of like Austria-Hungary. Uh, yeah, actually the First World War started in Bosnia, in Sarajevo. You probably know the storyline. But you know, there, there was like, uh, it, it was quite like uh, uh, critical. But the problem was really that when Tito died, then like he had a lot of power, a lot of respect. He kind of like assembled everybody together. When he died, then kind of like, you know, everything kind of fell apart. Mm. When was that roughly? Like what what decade? Yeah, so something to know is like I was born in 85 and in 85 there was like a Winter Olympics in Sarajevo. Bosnia was actually the, the host for Winter Olympics and like everything was like great, you know, like people were really happy, you know, super excited about this. And then like in five years we have the, the, the war where everything just like breaks loose and like goes to to shit so so actually like my early childhood like i really have like fun memories you know also like where where i grew up like there was a lot of freedom as well like you know it's kind of like i don't actually live in the city center of yaitse i live a bit outside uh, and there's like all greenery like we have a actually the the thing is in bosnia it's kind of like you usually like have houses near your family so like my uncle lived like the house next by me my grandma granddad like the next house there my aunt as well um, and you know all your neighbors and then it's just like you know like huge amounts of like greenery uh, and like uh, yeah it's a mountainous uh, country as well like especially in the Yaitse region so just kind of like to set up context so honestly you know I, I, I grew up 
And I also grew up like very independently because both my mom and dad worked a lot. Uh, so it was basically my grandma that took care of me, like took care of me. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the only thing she did was kind of feed me. <laughs> and you know, like I, I was like four or five at that point. And you know, I couldn't really imagine just like letting like, you know, Mike, Mike, I have like a five-year son, you know, just like let him loose on the streets, like do whatever he wants to do. And like, he just comes in for the feeding. And like, you know, that's, uh, that's you know, that's kind of environment that I grew up in. Sounds pretty idyllic. Like, so, so you're talking about your really younger years um, there, but then like, obviously you say, you know, you're born in 85 and 90, you have this terrible war that breaks out and everything gets upended. Like, like I, this is what I recall from our, our sauna chat and, and subsequent chats that we've had since then. Like you've, you've referenced, you know, that your, your family owned grocery stores, for example, and like, and like, and, and all of that changed. And before you know it, you find yourselves as fleeing this place and having to, to escape to another place. Which just a few years prior, you were living this idyllic lifestyle where your, you know, your grandmother was letting you run free and and this beautiful countryside surrounded by your family. So yeah, I mean, maybe maybe connect those dots for us because I that's what I think can be uh, can be really inspirational. I, I think part of the why I find this so interesting right now is like and and we've talked about this a little bit off air is like the the connection that you feel to the people of Ukraine who are having to go through something similar right now. And I think for a lot of people around the world, they. Can't can't really envision what what it's like to be going through this and and you you can you have that experience yeah yeah i mean something was like i don't think 90 like i think 92 is actually where the war really starts so like i was actually seven at the time uh, honestly like as a kid like i don't actually remember like i wasn't really aware of the situation that much uh, so i think that's like very lucky because you know like maybe also my, my family kind of protected me like i was actually not really like aware of all the stuff that we're going to and the thing is also I don't actually remember much like almost nothing uh, so maybe it's also like some trauma that's just like the brain kind of uh, like removes away yeah but th- I do feel like a lot of pain for like Ukrainian people because um, you know uh, you know, especially like for older people, like for my parents and for my older siblings, you know, it's just very, very hard that you kind of lose everything, like everything that you kind of like have tried to to work towards, you lose it just like that, you know. And then you need to like reset everything, and like there's so much uncertainty. Like in your in your family situation, like like what was the like you? I mean, I I kind of know the story a little bit, but like for instance, your family owned grocery stores, I believe, right? And and like had a home, like like, and so you you guys left. You had to leave all that behind yeah yeah and something like I'm, I'm not coming from like a very wealthy family you know like my parents you know they kind of worked themselves up to like providing a great like you know future for for me and my siblings and you know you lose that you lose that like certainty you know and i think this is like really really problematic you know because like yeah for instance for like for my mom and dad like you know they basically started with nothing you know and then they went to nothing and i think that that is really really like very uh yeah like yeah like my dad for instance like i actually didn't really like knew him well but my brother like big brother tells me like he was a very very different man like before the war you know uh, and after the war uh, so i think especially for him it kind of created a lot of trauma that he never really resolved yeah it's very very hard you know yeah and i i honestly don't really think like 
I can't really understand this. And I think like a lot of people, like you can't really put yourself into the shoes on, on those positions. And even actually, you know, like being a refugee and escaping, like uh, that is that is really, really difficult. Like, and, and for us, like, you know, it was like a nightmare, you know, because the thing we did is like, we left without proper passports, you know, uh, like with almost nothing, you know. And just to give you like one example, is like we got stuck in Hungary, I think. And like, we actually had to like buy passports, fake passports and you know like imagine like you go to a city and you need to buy a fake passport like you're not going to buy that like from some like <laughs> like you're going to buy <laughs> you're not from... going to like the the mall uh, <laughs> like... yeah yeah like, so you know it was like a lot of shady like people that you need to interact with you had to pay a lot of money to buy like a passport um and then i mean another thing is like one of uh, our friends that was also there because you're usually in a group he was kind of like a professor of chemistry at like Sarajevo University uh, and he could like kind of like uh, uh, like figure out how to actually fake you know the tint so it kind of looked real I mean it's just like yeah you know I would actually love to see like a movie of that because like you know <laughs> we're trying yeah. to do the next best uh, thing here and uh, and describe it you know like uh, just just because I, th- I think it's just mind-blowing for someone like honestly how I mean how do you go about buying a fake passport like I, I and, and especially like let's keep in mind obviously this is way before like smartphones and Google and like the, the internet where you could like maybe find that information I mean even with, armed with that I still wouldn't know like what to do exactly so I mean yeah what did like literally how did how did you go do you have any idea how your parents went about doing that I mean, something you know, is like my dad is like very, uh, how do I say that? Like, uh, been in like tough situations and like a very good negotiator and like, you know, like just kind of being very scrappy and like, you know, uh, so I think that helped a lot. Uh, <laughs> but, but it is like, you know, I mean, it was very, very, very shady. I mean, something you know, as well is like, my sister actually entered Denmark uh, by a fake name and being, being a daughter of another family because the only way we could actually uh, uh, like uh, get her, like get the paperwork done for her. Um, so so imagine, you know, like that was also something that was concerned because like you're actually a refugee, but like she she kind of faked all of her paperwork. And, you know, like a lot of the- was that Was that because of like a cap? Like they, they didn't want like a, a family so large entering or something? I, I'm not sure the details, but I think there's kind of, there was a cap of how many like kids you could have on a passport and stuff like that. So, so th- that was basically like my, my uh, sister entered with a fake, uh, like basically fake identity. Like she was a uh, part of another family. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like, uh, we, uh, like actually there was all, this was also like a stress factor because, you know, what, you know, like how would the Danish like people react to this, you know? And honestly, like we had, I mean, that's all something is like, that's all something I'm super grateful for because like you know we got a lot of help and also like some just to give like an example of like this situation there was a woman in the center so you basically have these like refugee center called Alice who kind of helped us, you know, like navigate the situation and kind of resolved my sister's paperwork, like without any kind of issues, uh, you know. I'm trying to envision, so like you guys leave Bosnia, physically, like how were you, you eventually, we know like kind of the quote unquote, like end, like you arrive to Denmark, that's where you end up kind of growing up your formidable years, which which you should spend some time on as well. But like, like logistically, how you worked your way to Hungary, you guys got fake passports, there you travel across Europe if I recall there's like I, there's a few things I have in my head like I have this story in my head about perhaps you like sleeping in a tunnel or a bridge at one point and then also maybe you got like rejected
adopted from one country and then had to go to Denmark. And so correct me where I'm wrong or, or fill in some of those blanks as we make our journey to, to Denmark. Yeah. You know, at some point, like we left like the cars and stuff we had in Croatia and we basically took a train uh, like across Europe. Um, and, you know, the destination was actually Sweden because my aunt has already gone, gone to Sweden and we knew that they had like their borders open for refugees. So that was kind of the plan. But the problem is, I mean, honestly, and the whole journey is like super long, you know, like uh, and also like like on each country, for instance, Hungary, like we probably stayed there for a month because our paperwork was like not good. And we actually like slept at like the metro station uh so yeah that's what i yeah. that's right but you know imagine like so many people sleeping on metro station and we have like small kids almost nothing you know and it's like winter you know it's it's really really horrible yeah so okay so what i so what i'm really interested in now because i actually have zero idea about this part of the story and i mean i know there's there's a million details we could fill in we're we're skipping past some some obvious like difficult situations and challenges and everything but we've we've only got a certain amount of time here so so we know eventually you arrive to Denmark and and it it works out that you guys are accepted in perhaps a little bit shady a little bit illegal but uh <laughs> but Amir's family arrives to Denmark and i think you've kind of led on to this before that like you you were pretty grateful to Denmark and like you ended up having like a really good life in Denmark. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, like, yeah, I'm really, really grateful, you know, for Denmark and the Danish people because yeah, we get kind of like a new start. Um, we also get like help, you know, like uh, just like getting settled down, you know, uh, my parents actually start a business again in Denmark. Um, yeah. And, you know, they started like, like they just like complete the basic Danish, uh, you know, like together <laughs> and then they start like a business. Uh, which is kind of like again like a, a grocery store uh, uh, you know and honestly like, I think that's like really really great and it shows like really uh, like my parents like you know the spirit of just like going like losing everything and then you're just like kickstarting stuff again uh, so yeah and, and for myself you know um, so I grew up in a really really small town in Denmark called Maia which is about like 5,000 people uh, you know and it's kind of like it's like an idyllic like Danish town it's kind of perfect like the like it's basically like a suburb, uh, but like a super suburb because there's like no real big cities nearby. Uh, uh, and I'm also, you know, I'm like the, the only foreigner on the whole school. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So like, did you guys get placed there? Like, like as refugees, do you, did the government tell you where to go or were you just like, once you're in Denmark, you, you go where you want. Was there any like direction or regulation in, in place? There wasn't really a regulation. Uh, I'm actually unsure like how my parents ended up because like that wasn't the common route. Like most other, other like Boston families, they kind of like flock to like a few like uh, cities, like bigger cities. And then like in these like clustered neighborhoods where we have like other Bostonians around you, you know, uh, for myself, like I was just like in the middle of like, like, <laughs> like, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, like of nowhere, you know, because like I just had like Danish people around me. And something as well to note here is like I actually start a real school on, on the third, fourth grade. Uh, so that's where I actually enter like a real school. Before that, it, I was kind of part of like these refugee schools where like, um, you know, and I, I don't actually have like have a lot of like Danish as well. So I, I start without like speaking a lot of like Danish. <laughs> I just get thrown into this. <laughs> Yeah, you're like the you're the foreign kid that doesn't speak the local language and has really not had school before this, and uh, and, and now you're supposed to like be thrown into this this uh, childhood experience. Exactly, exactly. So that's kind of yeah. like the setup for me. And honestly, like 
I, I'm also like, I'm super non-disciplined because I basically have like zero, like real discipline or like, and the first like many years, like uh, actually they think like I have like uh, learning disabilities because, you know, I'm just like so much behind on like the basic stuff. <laughs> uh, and like combined with that, that, that I don't really like, you know, like for instance, like homework, like I, I really didn't do much for homework. Like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so actually like on, on, on the last evaluation, like where they actually need to kind of recommend you for something, what they recommended was like higher education. It was kind of like, okay, we think Amir is probably better that he goes and does something with his hands because like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's obviously not that intelligent, yeah. um, but but maybe he's a craftsman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But honestly, I don't really blame them because like yeah, I had really bad discipline. I had like so, so like, I lacked so many years of like like start education, you know, the basic education. Uh, yeah. Um, so I actually like, I only caught up maybe like during high school and like university where I kind of felt like, okay, now I'm kind of on par uh, with the others. But before that, it was, it was kind of a struggle. Yeah. Interesting. We'll be right back to the show after a quick break for a note from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Greenback Tax. As an American citizen, I'm from one of only two countries in the entire world that requires I pay taxes on my global income, regardless of which country I'm actually living in. So when I started my expat journey back in 2015, I knew my tax situation was about to get complicated. Fortunately, I discovered Greenback and I've never looked back. Greenback is 100% focused on helping U.S. expats with their tax situation. And to date, they've filed almost 50,000 returns for nearly 15,000 happy customers from more than 200 different countries. After seven years working together, I can say with confidence that they make one of the most painful parts of life abroad an absolute breeze with their automated systems, friendly advisors, and expertise in the very specific niche of U.S. expat taxes. Also, for those of you who may have fallen behind on your taxes and or you're trying to get ahead of tax season in 2023, Greenback has your back here as well. They can assist with late filings to ensure you don't encounter any problems with the IRS and to make sure you start 2023 off right. Tax season is on the horizon. Learn more about Greenback today by going to greenbacktaxservices.com via the link in the show notes. Hey guys, if you're still around and enjoying this episode, then I think you might actually like our once a month newsletter as well. If you'd like to sign up, just open up the show notes of the episodes you're currently listening to, scroll down and look for aboutabroad.com slash newsletter. It takes about 30 seconds to sign up. It's a fantastic way to support the show. And I think you'll be pleased with the information that we provide every month as well. Thanks a lot for listening. Hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. And you pick up Danish pretty quick. Like, how did you find learning Danish? I don't, I kind of assume there's no connection between Bosnian and, and Danish in, in terms of language, but maybe I'm wrong. No, no. I mean, Bosnian is like a Slavic language and Danish is a Germanic. So like there's zero, like there's very few like words in common <laughs> or structures in common. Yeah. But honestly, as a kid, like you get just thrown into this. Like, I, I don't even like recall when I learned Danish, you know, because, you know, you're, you're on a playground, like you just get exposed to this and then you just quickly pick it up. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're experiencing that now with your kids, right? Like, like uh, I think you told me, I mean, your kids are what, learning four, four languages, uh, maybe five, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, I mean, they are learning four. Yeah, so they're learning like English, Spanish, Bosnian, and then Catalan. So Danish got cut, huh? Yeah, Danish got cut. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's plenty of years to learn Danish. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, my wife wants them to learn Danish so they can kind of go and, and study in Denmark. But we'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> school in Barcelona is that like like they're going to learn Catalan and and Spanish by default, and then I guess English gets mixed in there. But you guys speak Spanish at home. Yeah, we speak Spanish at home, and like we have actually them going into like English school because we just think like it's a super critical uh, language to to learn, you know, in like a global world. Um, and they will learn like Spanish anyway, and then like they also have some exposure to Catalan. But like, yeah, the problem like with these small languages like Bosnian and Catalan is like they don't really open a lot of doors, you know, like uh, it's very good for like local community and like, you know, family relations, but like you know, it's much better or important, more critical for us, important than uh, like masters of English or Spanish than like uh, minor languages. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of tough to justify like really investing a lot in, at, I mean, maybe later in life or something, but especially when you're going to pick up some of it by os- through osmosis anyway. And that's, you have such a unique perspective on this because I mean, you, obviously you're born in Bosnia, your family's there, you moved to Denmark, two languages that are, you know, not like widely adopted by the rest of the world. You learn those, you pick up English you go to Chile at some point and start tech companies and marry a Chilean, learn Spanish, and now you're living in Barcelona where everybody speaks Catalan. So I think you're I think you don't need any more languages in your head. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think like maybe it's a bit overrated like this, uh, like language uh, fascination. Yeah. Like I would actually prefer if everything was just like one language, like uh, Esperanto <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could we could push that forward it's really i don't know man it's so interesting to see like like hearing your your experience as a child like that you i mean the word that keeps coming to mind when you're talking about your dad when you're talking about you is like resiliency like you guys had to overcome a lot you weren't you weren't like given the golden parachute of like here everything is laid out in front of you um on your path to being a you know the founder and ceo of a of a successful tech company um a bootstrapped successful tech company at that i do you ever reflect on that like do you do you feel proud of of how far you've come and and like like considering where you came from and where you are now do you take any time to to revel in that um i mean something is like i'm actually really really grateful um like of course my childhood was like super tough but i think also sometimes like that's a fear i have actually for my kids it's like they will have way too easy life uh you know i think actually you need like some challenges uh in your childhood to kind of like you know uh, grow uh and maybe like for some people they can be like destructive but for me it was kind of like i think a very good thing because it kind of made me i think better um uh you know and this said also i mean Growing up in Denmark was a huge advantage, you know, like uh, I got like a free education, like it didn't really matter who my parents were, you know, uh, like also I studied in a very, very good university, like probably one of the best like computer science universities in the world. So like I was very privileged in that sense, you know, like uh, so I think definitely uh, like it, it was tough, but I also think like I was super, you know, privileged and like I'm super grateful also for like uh, growing up in that environment. Uh, yeah. So that's also some, something that I think a lot uh, uh, as well it's kind of like for instance my dad you know like he was actually really really great at like business stuff like really great at math but the problem is he almost had zero education like formal education like he would have been so much better if it actually he had proper education you know uh if he read a lot you know like he would have just have been much much better uh so that's also like you know, something that uh that i think about and even right now you know like uh i think uh like with the kids today like um also, I, I feel like we as parents, like, uh, you know, of course, you're not a parent, uh, uh, but, uh, but you know, I, I feel like parents today are also just like much, much better parents uh, than, so like, you know, I hope like our kids will be even, you know, more 
fortunate uh, that uh, than I was, and like my parents were, yeah. Because honestly, like for my parents, like they had like they had really really tough like uh, childhoods and stuff like that. I don't really think I had, you know, it was tough, but like nothing uh, on that scale of the previous generations. I think. Uh, Hopefully, each generation is building a better future for the next generation, and it hasn't always worked like that throughout uh, history. But I mean, I think there's statistics that show like right now we're even even despite all the terrible things that are happening in the world like we're we're in one, the the most like the safest and most prosperous time in the history of human history so like that, there's something to be said for that yeah you know there's like this podcast hardcore history that is very very great and you know just listening to that like you kind of like see how shitty the past was and like you never actually want to be part of that so chase something i'm actually curious about and you probably don't get asked a lot like how was actually your childhood? I don't oh. think I've ever asked Oh, that. I like it. I, I don't think I've <laughs> ever asked you this. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a very fair question since I'm drilling you on yours and you're right. Yeah. Nobody's ever asked me on this. So, so thanks for turning the mic around. I I had the, the Uber privileged, you know, everything laid out for me growing up in middle class, North Carolina in the U S. Um, my dad was a pilot. My mom was a nurse. Uh, she went back to school to become a nurse while I was, uh, eight or 10 years old or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up, one of the cool things about my childhood that I love is like, I had, I had, it was very nice. I was in a neighborhood with a lot of other kids and I was surrounded by by a lot of people and my parents were also really big on us being involved in a lot of like activities so I just had a very eventful life which I, I kind of like to mimic it my, my wife likes to g- get upset with me sometimes like can we just slow down can we just not do something for and I just didn't grow up that way there were always there was lots of like stimulation um, which was great like socially and and exposed me to a lot of things and I also grew up in an area that was really diverse like I, I don't think most people would think U.S. uh North Carolina, not a major city, you know, just kind of like suburbia. But where I grew up was like really diverse. My, my school was very mixed, like racially and um, had people, we had a lot of immigrants and refugees and, and people that came from a lot of different socioeconomic backgrounds, which I think is kind of unique in the way that our school systems are set up there. So I had this really cool experience of just being surrounded by people from all over the world, from very different backgrounds. And um, we had a massive like ESL program called like English. English as a second language. So lots of people coming in that didn't speak English and had to learn English, you know, all throughout my like elementary, middle school, high school. So I was very interested in this. Like I was always like making friends with the new kids that were coming and we couldn't really communicate with each other. And like when a new kid would come in from another place, like they would assign me to him and like we would he or she and we'd I'd like introduce them to the school and stuff like this. So I think that's one of the things I'm really appreciative. Like my parents taught me a lot of like, uh, you know, like pay it forward, be kind to people, um, like especially people who might not have everything that we have. And then because of that, I was exposed to a lot of different things from a lot of different corners of the world and just found like a interest in this from a very early age. When I think back on my childhood, like these are the things that that really come to mind. I mean, that could also explain like the global uh, mindset that you have, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely like a red thread that connects there. I mean, when <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, but like when I came to Doist, like one of the things that I was purposefully seeking, like I just wanted to be in an international environment. Like I didn't, I, I just didn't want to be surrounded by people that were like looked and sounded just like me. And so I didn't really care as much about like the product um, as much as like two things like location independence and working about around a bunch of people from a bunch of different places in the world. And obviously I found that at Doist. We 
we were a lot smaller then, but like even still, I think we were like 40 people from 20 different countries or something. And uh, I was just like blown away. Like, oh man, I hear all these different languages or accents every day. And um, yeah, totally stimulating for me. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing environment. Like I think our remote reminders are, are amazing. You know? Just like meeting people around the world, working with them and understanding them. It's a, it adds a lot because you get people who are injecting different backgrounds and, and biases and um, you know points of view, education. Like the way somebody's taught how to approach something in Taiwan is very different from how someone's taught how to do something in Mexico. And like so you infuse that in and then also just like getting the chance, the stimulation of, of hearing these different perspectives is, is, uh, is really helpful. I think keeps you on your toes. You don't, you can't get bored in this environment. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm preaching to the choir. I know. Well, uh, I know I've got to get you out of here pretty soon. So, I, and there's a ton more that we, we won't get a chance to dive into today. But um, first of all, you know, thanks for sharing your story and like more about your, your personal life. Secondly, I was wondering if you could leave us with like a couple things, like as far as I can tell, I would say like you've lived in five places, like you have Bosnia, you have Denmark, you now have Spain and in between like Chile and Taiwan. Would you, would you say that's correct or would you remove any of those from the quote unquote places you've lived? That is correct. Yeah. I mean, that kind of sums that up. Yeah. I actually like something that maybe some people don't really know as well. It's kind of like the way that we actually selected Barcelona is me and my wife, like before we got kids, we kind of visit different like cities and try to live a bit in them to kind of see like if it fits us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I live like in a, like a few more places. Like I lived, for instance, like in Berlin for a bit. Uh, yeah. uh, in, in Porto. In, in Porto. Uh, I lived also a bit in San Francisco as well. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's like a bit more to that, but you know, yeah, <laughs> but like it wasn't like as like, intense or like as long as the other states. I mean, Porto was actually more than, yeah, it was three or four years. So that could probably be added there. The other places were kind of like a few months or like a month or two in allocation. Okay. Yeah. So there's too many to go through what I was just thinking. So I'm going to scrap that idea and we're going to do something else. Also, one clarification, you now split your time kind of between Barcelona and Chile. You you kind of like perpetually chasing summer. Is is that right? Uh, I mean, we were doing that. Uh, but like the problem <laughs> is like with having kids is like that becomes much more problematic. So right now we actually just living in like maybe like three or four weeks in Chile a year, which is still kind of nice. Like when it's winter in Europe, we just go to Chile and get the summer boost. Uh, but, you know, it was much nicer like before, like especially before like the kids got bigger, like my son is five and just taking like out of school for like a few months, like, you know, like not many schools will accept that. <laughs> that system. Uh, uh, is not super compatible but like before we did that and that was a fantastic like i can really recommend you know like splitting your time between like northern and southern hemispheres and you know like either getting you know the double winter or double summer of course double summer is maybe better but uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah depending on your preferences uh, okay got you what, what I'm just curious, I want to I want to kind of leave on on this note. Actually, let me ask you two final questions. And the first one you can answer, you can answer both of them really quickly or however you want. You're the guest. Um, but the first one just being what's your relationship like with Bosnia now? Um, I, I'm curious, like you, you left it, you've had several chapters in your life. So like, what does it look like with you and your your home country now? Yeah, I mean, I was actually like two weeks ago in Sarajevo, like attending like a Sting concert and it was a uh, beautiful, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I noticed like I do still like if you ask me like, you know, like how, like what 
nationality I have, I would probably say Bosnian because that's kind of like what I feel like. You know, they said I have like so many influences from from Danish culture as well. Like I grew up there. A lot of my near friends are also Danish. Um, so you know, you know, I would probably say Bosnian Danish. But you know, like uh, I still like very feel like uh, you know, I feel like a real passion for for Bosnian. I also hope as I get older and kind of like do more stuff to help out because the situation there is still very dire. dire. You know, uh, the the country doesn't really have a lot of future and there's like still like many different problems uh you know i think like especially for youth they don't really have like a great setup uh for have a great life you know like education uh, isn't very good they don't really have great prospects um and the the, the i mean honestly i guess i spent two weeks in sarajevo and it was amazing you know people were actually quite happy and i think bosnia could have a great future uh yeah you know yeah that yeah and i think the whole balkan like uh region could do as well uh, but you know there's also like some other stuff that it's kind of like the politics really sucks but there's still like a lot of like primitive uh, thoughts uh, or like just you know uh, I feel like the societies there have not really advanced a lot and of course like having huge wars it's a huge setback and you know it, like the whole region is kind of still recovering from that and then also yeah I mean we could have been much much smarter in general you know like uh, as a region there so I feel like there's a lot of work to be done um, and I especially feel like sad for the youth you know uh, yeah uh, yeah so that is it's like I, I really feel warm and I, I want to do my contribution at some point there. Like I'm, I'm doing some stuff, like donations and stuff, but I really want to you know, make that a higher priority at some point. Yeah. Do you want to use this moment now to announce your candidacy for Bosnian president? Um, yeah. is, that, is, that, is that what we're doing? Jeez, uh, I'm never going to go into politics. Yeah. <laughs> There's enough politics at a hundred person company. Um, I, I don't think you, you want more. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, having said all that, Bosnia is a, is a beautiful place uh you know uh, it's it's become a place that a lot of people really want to go travel to i remember when i was studying abroad in university and people talking about like yeah we're kind of taking this like adventurous trip to bosnia like like you know oh you've done paris and amsterdam and and oktoberfest and munich but like so we're gonna go off the beaten path now and go to and go to bosnia and i remember thinking like wow that's adventurous at that time um and now it's you know it's it's all over instagram you see the famous picture there and with the bridge and the and uh the river running through one of the beautiful towns and you know so it's become a place that people talk about the coastline and all that so it's um from a tourism standpoint it's i think it's more on the map than than it was at one point and will we'll hopefully continue to prosper in other ways the, the last question i just want to ask you and i think i would be like for all the people who follow you for all your work and remote work and future of work and all of that i think i'd be like remiss not to ask but um what like what influence do you feel like all of this all this your your personal life i mean all these different places you've lived and and you know the the trials and tribulations of traveling as a as a refugee and forming your own identity in a new country all these things like you're you're now you if you connect that to your work i mean there's a lot of parallels there's a lot of things that, that make a lot of sense there i mean you're advocating for a world where you know there are there are fewer borders and restrictions in terms of like how you access work do you think those things are connected or or maybe another way to ask is like do you think those childhood experiences your your life experience has influenced the way you feel about the quote unquote future of work? 
I mean, that's an excellent question, Chase. Um, I mean, something you know, that is like, you know, like my family has actually lived in this small town for like 500 years or more. Like we have records. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of the first like international, like uh, uh, like probably that's like kind of ventured out of this like small town. And I think that's like the beauty of our world. It's kind of like, you know, everything is like much more global, much more interconnected. And, and even something as well, like I actually have a nephew in Bosnia right now that's like working for H, uh, HI Proxy, which is kind of like, it's a US company and he's working remotely. And I think that's also like beautiful. You know, that's something that I think like remote work is kind of like, you don't actually need to move out. You can actually still be there, you know, earn great salary. And that kind of has like rippling effects in the local economies. And I think this can, can really be a huge like difference because we don't need to like center all of the wealth and all of the jobs in like small places, you know, you can just like distribute them around. And I think honestly, like this will create a much better like world and a society so I, you know for me that's kind of also like the second order effects i can see of all of this is kind of just like creating more opportunities and you know also something as well um is i believe you know intelligence kind of like evenly distributed and creativity as well and all other state stuff so like you know you have geniuses everywhere in the world and like we just need to kind of create opportunities for them but also like we really need to create like a foundation layer for them and i think that's like one of the struggles for instance in bosnia right now isn't like like the talent maybe it's really that the education is like so broken that you know once they get like on the job market you know they've had like 20 years of disadvantage you know so and you know Boston is still like kind of much better than like if you go to Africa you know or, or whatever um, uh, yeah so so you know for me that's at least like something that that, that kind of connect this kind of like I would love to create a world or like help creating a world where kind of like opportunity uh, is available to everybody uh, including you know when they start out and you know for myself like it was amazing to grow up in Denmark and like I'm pretty sure like that has affected a ton uh, of you know where I ended up uh, and it would be amazing to kind of have this uh, for more people around the world. Yeah. yeah they say like talent is is evenly distributed but opportunity is not and uh, and that's like a big part of the the problem we're, we're trying to to solve in our own little way so um, Amir man this was awesome thank you for taking some time out of your busy day uh, it's fun to chat with you about this stuff and not like uh, you know the do system and work and things like that so I, I wish we got to do this more but it's awesome you took some time to to share the story so thanks a lot man i'll let you get back to it uh thank you chase uh thanks for having me here it was really awesome and i can see my my small kid is like knocking on the door he, he, wants, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he wants to enter you are needed <laughs> yeah yeah well well apologize to him on my behalf um and uh yeah see you around in the uh in the in twist bye bye chase Thanks for tuning in today from wherever you are in the world. Once again, I'm Chase, and this has been another episode of About Abroad. For those of you wondering how you can best support the show, I have made it super simple for you. Just go over to the show notes of the episode that you just finished listening to and click on one of the two following links. Aboutabroad.com slash newsletter to get our monthly newsletter. No spam, guaranteed. Or ratethispodcast.com slash aboutabroad, where you can quickly and easily leave a review for the show. It's not just important to me, it also helps more wanderers just like you find us. Finally, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and we will see you again next week. Thanks again. Hasta luego, amigos.